Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We have a very special week coming up for you. Uh, the plan is uh, to have an episode every day this week. And it is going to be on the same subject. So I came across a series of videos um, by Pastor Ted Alexander of the Bayview Baptist Church somewhere in Florida. I met Pastor Alexander several years ago um, at a meeting. I heard him preach there. I, I don't know him personally uh, very well. Don't know a whole lot about him. I know he does a lot of stuff with Baptist history. Uh, but either way, I watched um, I watched five out of ten of his videos uh, defending pre-tribulationism against um, the post-trib pre-wrath position, which is what I hold. And so uh, I wanted to address them for several reasons. One, for, so first off, I don't have anything personal against Brother Alexander. I don't uh, I, I don't know him personally, but when I watch these videos, I realize this is very important that we address some of these things too, because I want pre-tribbers to listen to this. Those of you who are pre-trib, even if you do not walk away from these videos agreeing with my position, there are some things that you need to stop saying. And I'm saying this for your benefit because I talk to people regularly who attend independent fundamental pre-trib Baptist churches and, you know, and they get frustrated, you know, a lot of times uh, because of the difference there. And I don't think people ought to leave a good church, you know, over eschatology. But at the same time, if you're saying really dumb stuff, you know, you, you need to correct it. And if you're saying uh, things that are very false against another position, you're not doing yourselves any favor. You never help your side by misrepresenting the other side. You always hurt yourself. And so uh, as we go through some of these things, I, this, if you listen, I'm going to help you to not hurt yourself uh, when you are defending your position. And I think, and so I believe his position reflects uh, many people's positions in the IB world. We're not picking on somebody who's just like some fringe uh, got out there opinion or something like that. I think I think I can safely say what he's going to teach in these videos kind of represents the mainstream uh, independent fundamental Baptist position on a lot of these things. And so um, I I don't think that Pastor Alexander, and the, I think these videos are a few years old, but when he made these videos, I don't think he was very familiar with the post-trib pre-wrath position. And it is, a uh, let me just say this, be very careful addressing a position, debunking a position that you are not familiar with. If you make straw men, you will not help yourself You make yourself look very bad. And, and so I do think obviously he, he, he I'm going to show how he does not know the position very well. Uh, and so that causes them to really make some really bad straw men, uh, say some things that are just completely false about the post-trib pre-wrath position. And so, and, and listen, I don't want anybody to, to get sensitive about this in the independent fundamental Baptist world. There's a lot of insecurity because of just weak doctrinal positions. And um, as a result of that, when they see somebody like myself doing this, they just see it as an attack. And I, and I get it. I get attacked all the time. This is not an attack. Okay. I purposefully try to uh, refrain from using sermons preached in a local church. Uh, and even when I've heard some pretty crazy things, but these videos were made for YouTube put out on the internet for the purpose of trying to, you know, influence an eschatology just like I'm doing. So the thing is, when you step into the public arena, when you step into the town square and uh, to put out a position, you have to be prepared for a response. You got to prepare for the other side to say something. So this is not me going in your local church. This is not me picking apart preaching in a local church. These were videos intended for the YouTube audience. And so I, I feel like I have every right to address these things and, um, the position that is that he, I'm not going to say attack. If you want to say that, that's fine. But, um, that he is opposing here is a position that I hold. And so, um, I intend to do this in all good, uh, Christian character. And by the way, I have reached out to pastor Alexander. Uh, I told him I'm intending to 
uh, address these his videos on this podcast. And I invited him to come on the program to see if he would like to talk about these things. Um, he politely declined, but uh, I am politely too and inviting him. If at any point he changes his mind and wants to come on, he is welcome to do that. Let me say this here publicly right now. So it is just on record. But uh, after I get done with these, if he feels that I misrepresented him, I treated him unfairly, he is more than welcome to come on my platform and to tell people where I uh, misrepresented him and how I was wrong. And he can rebuke me sharply and he will have and, and he can have the last word. So uh, that just so everybody knows, I, I believe in being fair. I don't know this about Brother Alexander, but Baptists in general are very bold in what they say about other people, but most do not have the boldness to confront them face to face. Many Baptists are very bold in what the, and preaching about other people and calling other people out from the pulpit when nobody can oppose them, but they will never uh, come and face to face or even on some kind of public format like this say those same things. And so, um, I, that is not how I operate. And so if you, um, you, you can take that or leave that, but that's, that's how we roll here. And so I think it is, I think it is lame to talk about somebody, uh, while not being willing to talk to him. I've given him my phone number. He's welcome to call me at any time, rebuke me privately, or he can come on the program, rebuke me publicly. If he feels I deserve it, uh, or he can just completely ignore it. That That is completely up to him. But either way, I just want to put it out there. Uh, I, I do believe in having some ethics when it comes to these things. And, and I will not do myself any favor if I slander, misrepresent, or anything like that. I have no desire to do that. But I do want to address the content of what is put forth in these videos. So this is, uh, we're going to devote the week. There's 10 videos. So we're going to watch. Now, I've only seen half of them. Uh, and what and I, I might go ahead and watch some of the other ones before, but I'm thinking about, uh, on some of the programs responding as I see them for the first time. I think that might be interesting. It might. So, uh, we're going to go through these first, uh, the uh, first couple of videos in today's episode, and then Monday through Friday, uh, we'll play different ones. So let's go ahead and start with video number one, and I will occasionally chime in. Hello, I'm here with Abraham Klein, and uh, we decided to do some videos today. You know, I'm very troubled as a, an independent Baptist evangelist, a local church man, uh, a man who believes this book from cover to cover, uh, believes in sound principles of biblical interpretation. We call it a single hermeneutic, a literal, historical, grammatical, contextual, uh, using the rules of logic, the rule of inference. Uh, we're very careful how we handle the Word of God. We don't want to handle it craftily. Or deceitfully we don't want to rest the scriptures we want to rightly divide the word of truth because we're going to give an account someday i'm very troubled by uh really a new teaching that is out there that is uh is prevailing now it seems uh, these theological trends uh the winds of change in theology they they blow in and out and uh they're they're always swirling in the wind well this new one uh, to cut to the chase uh, is this uh, this problematic doctrine of a supposed uh mid-trib or post-trib rapture I do not believe it is scriptural, and what I'd like to do is do several videos to try to combat some of the heresy that is out there today. Uh, a man by the, by the name of Stephen Anderson has uh, taken it upon himself, a uh, Phoenix pastor, uh, and I don't believe he's a Baptist any more than there's a man in the moon. I'm just going to be quite frank with you. Uh, he's not. He doesn't rightly divide the Word of God in any way, shape, or form, uh, but he sent a, a video out uh, some time ago. Uh, after the tribulation is the name of it. You may have received it if you're an independent Baptist pastor, and uh, he tries to blast the historic position of the uh, pre-trib, premillennial rapture of all the saved of the times of the Gentiles or the church age, uh, whatever you have a mind to call it. Uh, but I'd like to just uh, very quickly give you a uh, part. All right, so let me stop for a minute. Now, I'm not going to really comment on kind of some of the emotional argument you made there about the winds of change, uh, about being honest with the scriptures and all that. I think we all try to do that. Okay. We all try to do that. We all, but we all have different methods of doing that and we can judge whose methods are right. So he's got a method of interpretation. I have a method of interpretation. At the end of the day, uh, you listen and see. Now here's something that we can verifiably 
show that is just false about what he's saying here, but he's talking about this new teaching. Okay. And he specifically references Stephen Anderson. He, he specifically represents after the tribulation. So I'm familiar with, uh, his teaching, pastor Anderson's teaching. I'm familiar with after the tribulation and, uh, this teaching, we're going to go through the tribulation. Now it's going to become more and more apparent as he goes through, he is not familiar with the position based on, unless he's purposefully misrepresenting. So he cannot claim, uh, if he watches this, that I was familiar when I made these videos with the position, unless he's willing to admit I misrepresented to just make you, make y'all look bad. But to claim this is a new teaching by Steven Anderson is absolutely ridiculous. I did a program about this the other day where I showed this sword of the Lord from 1961, April 21st, 1961, further answers to post-tribulation teachers. And I showed what they are teaching in here. You'll have to go back and watch that episode is the same thing that's in after the tribulation. And it's showing that the tribulation is not the same as God's wrath, that we are here for the tribulation, but we are not here for God's wrath. And Post-trib, pre-wrath believers do not believe in a seven-year tribulation. They believe that we are here for the seals, but we are not here for the vials and the trumpets. And so um, we're going to see this straw man where he's making it like we're teaching we're going to get raptured Armageddon. Nobody that I know of teaches that for sure. Who he references does not teach that. But here's another article too um, going after poster people this is from 1957 says called will the church go through the tribulation so understand this what he's just saying there is verifiably provably false steven anderson was not born in 1961 this was years before he was born 20 20 roughly 20 years before he was born and these pastors are responding it names several preachers it references books these men wrote books teaching the same thing that the tribulation and wrath are not the same. So this is just verifiably false. That's verifiably false. You do not do yourselves any favors by saying false things. Now, again, obviously maybe he's just not familiar. Again, these articles were written before Ted Alexander was born. So, um, but that's just wrong. Okay. So that, that what he said there is very wrong. And often people will do this to kind of use a cancel culture mentality where they will associate a name of someone unpopular with something. It's kind of like too, when people, if they don't like what you say about the Jews, they call you Hitler. Okay. Well, you can, you can call me a nasty name. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, or it, it doesn't prove what I'm saying is false. Okay. And so people often do that to avoid the substance of an argument and, when you have to avoid the substance of an argument, maybe you ought to just stay out of it, but, uh, it doesn't, you know, so again, I think maybe this is ignorance. It, it could just be ignorance. Maybe somebody told him what Anderson's teaching and they misrepresented and he just trusted them. But, um, you got to check, you got to check before you go out there naming people, make sure you're representing them accurately. And so typically too, um, and I've seen this many times with preachers, if you correct them and you can like show them, you can verify to them, this is not what Stephen Anderson teaches. Then they'll just say something else they don't like about him. And, you know, well, you know, did you, he does this. He does, it's like, okay, I just want to, I'm just trying to help you out. Okay. No matter what you don't like about him, what you're saying here is false. Are you interested in fixing that? So if you're interested in fixing these things, you know, change that. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and watch some more. One of why I know uh, this is not something that's up, up for debate with me. Uh, this is something I settled a long time ago because the Word of God thoroughly teaches this doctrine. And uh, so I want to show you why I know that there is a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of everyone who is saved in this church age uh, and is coming very quickly, incidentally. John chapter 14 uh, is a passage that even though we compare Scripture with Scripture, we're very careful to understand that it has to be line upon line and precept upon precept, uh, this passage is amazing because all the tools to interpret it are inherent within the passage. In other words, it is straightforward uh, narrative from Christ himself. And the Bible says in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Now he's speaking to the saints of God here. And he says, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. 
in my father's house. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Where is the father's house? Well, it's not here on earth. It's up in heaven. In fact, it's in the third heaven. And uh, so he's talking about the third heaven. This is the this is the context of what we're looking at here. Jesus is talking about the father's house in the third heaven. He said uh, in that father's house are many mansions. Okay, now that's going to be the abode of the saved. Uh, from what we find further in this passage, but he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. So this is not something where he should be confused about. He said, if it, wasn't any, if it was any differently, he would have let us know that, okay? He loves us and he wants us to know things, okay? So he goes on and says this in verse number two, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, contextually now, let's, let's use our rules of biblical interpretation correctly here. Where is he going? Well, he's going to the Father's house where those mansions are, where he's preparing them in the third heaven, okay? But he goes on and says this in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again. Come again. Let me think about that. Well, he came the first time uh, to the, the Jew to preach to them, to uh, preach uh, so the people could be saved, to start his church. He came in the manger. He came where? To this earth is where he came to. But he says this, If I go and prepare a place for you up in the third heaven, I will come again. And listen, when he comes again, he says, and receive you unto myself. So let me get this straight. When Christ comes, he is coming for the purpose of receiving us unto himself. Now, that's what we call the rapture, the catching away. The word rapture is not used in scripture, but certainly this passage denotes a catching away, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 does. And we'll discuss that passage in a later video. But he says, the purpose of his coming, listen, is to receive us unto himself. Listen, that where I am, where's that? That's up in heaven, in the Father's third heaven, where he said he was preparing those mansions for us. There ye may be also. So let me get this straight. Christ is coming for the purpose of receiving us unto himself, so that where he's at up in the third heaven, he can take us to be with him up in that third heaven, obviously in the mansions that he has prepared for us and is currently preparing for us. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed to find anywhere in here where this is simply a gathering to the battle of Armageddon. You see, many have taken this position of a post-trib rapture, which really what that does is it does away with the rapture. They would state that all of the trumpets are the same and that the trumpets you see in Matthew 24, which is a gathering of the elect, the Jews, that is, natural Israel, to the battle of Armageddon is the same gathering for you and I as church age saved. And that's not the case. A careful study of scripture indicates to us there are two sets of scriptures. There are two parts to the second coming of Christ. There is the rapture of all the saved, which is prior to all seven years of the tribulation period. And that is Christ coming for the saints. Remember that word, that statement, for the saints. He's coming here in this passage for the saints. This is clearly not the second advent. For in the second advent, which happens seven years later, after there's a program in heaven where we go to the Father's house, uh, we go to the judgment seat of Christ and we see our works either burned up or, or abide and we're given crowns to cast at Jesus' feet and then we're made ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a totally different program for us going on up in heaven than those down here on this earth, the Jews that are thrown into Jacob's trouble, that great tribulation period. But at the end of that, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place and Christ comes back with the saints of God on white horses. That is called the second advent. There's two parts to Christ's coming. There's the rapture when he comes, like we see in this passage, and then there's the second advent, like we see in the book of Revelation. We'll discuss that passage in depth later when he comes, as a Jude told us, with ten thousands of his saints on white horses to the battle of Armageddon to go and to fight his enemies and to save the Jew and to march into Israel and be crowned king of the Jews for that millennial kingdom to begin. And so clearly this passage in and of itself, if you're to ask me, why are you pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture? Well, that's what these videos are going to be all about. The first reason I would give you is because John 14 clearly is Christ coming for the saints, not Christ coming with the saints. There are two different events. You tie them together, you're going to mess up your scripture, you're going to mess up your biblical interpretation or division. And so we need to be very careful about this. This is just part one. And so we're going to build upon this. This is not the end of the story. This is the very tip of the iceberg. And we're going to explain this fully. There's much confusion. We want to try to do our part as best we can to dispel some of that confusion. So stay tuned and we'll see you in another video. Thank you. All right. So several things I want to point out. So first off, uh, the only scripture really went to is John 14, which is fine. Uh, but it, a common tactic in the pre-trib world, because you cannot 
find their timeline, uh, their their story they've come up with that fits the late great planet Earth, the Left Behind series, the Thief in the Night movie. Uh, what they do is they'll typically read a verse somewhere and then they will go and start quoting a catechism where they start talking about the seven year tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, but they never show you how these things connect from the scripture. They never do that. We got the millennial reign and the marriage supper. Line. You know, they'll, they'll go into all these things. They're seven year peace treaty. And they'll say all these things too, that seven year peace treaty. You don't see that written in the scriptures, but that's a part of the story. And we'll address some of these things in some of the later videos. But I, I want you to notice how he quoted the catechism. Everybody does that when they, they'll read a scripture about the rapture and then they will quote a catechism. They will tell you all the things that are going to happen, but they will not display it from the scriptures. But notice how he said in John 14, it's showing how Jesus is going to come and take them to the third heaven, not gather them to Armageddon. Therefore, a post-trib rapture is, it does, he said it basically gets rid of the rapture because you just have him being gathered to Armageddon, proving that he obviously either did not watch after the tribulation or he uh, has not listened to Pastor Anderson. Both things he referenced, okay? He referenced Pastor Anderson. He, he referenced after the tribulation. He's talking about post-trib, pre-wrath people. We do not believe we're getting raptured at, to Armageddon. We don't believe we're getting raptured at Armageddon. We believe we're getting raptured at the sixth seal. Where does Matthew 24 talk about Armageddon? It doesn't say Armageddon. It doesn't talk, it, it doesn't mention Armageddon there. It mentions after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Um, I wonder if he believes revelations in chronological order. A lot of pre-tribbers do, but the six seals in chapter six. And then we have the trumpets and the vials. So we see the sun, dark moon, turn blood. And then we see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. We don't see Armageddon taking place there. Armageddon is not mentioned there. So again, Post-tribbers do not teach that we are raptured to Israel and to Armageddon. So this whole video was a great big straw man. It was a great big straw man. Why am I pre-trib? Well, because, you know, in John 14, we have Jesus coming for his saints. And we're going to talk about that for his saints, not with the saints in a later video. I'm not going to get into that now, but he said, I'm going to come again, receive you unto myself and come for you. And we're going to go to heaven. Well, the post-trib doctrine teaches that too, because I believe we're up in heaven watching him pour out the vials of his wrath on this earth. So we're going to be with him in heaven, but notice how he says that where I am, there ye may be also. So again, either way, even if we did get raptured to Armageddon, we're still going to be with Jesus, like he said. But again, I do. I believe this. Other post-tribbers believe we are going to get raptured to heaven but before Armageddon. So, boy, don't make videos debunking positions you're not familiar with. You are going to make yourself look really bad. And this is just a side note. Let me just throw a bonus in there too. But John 14, 15, and 16, it's all one story. It's all in the same setting. And you know what Jesus said in John 16, 33? Same story, same setting, same conversation. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, um, understand that doesn't really help your cause right there in the same passage where Jesus says, I'm going to come and get you. He's all, and he's comforting them with that. He's also letting them know though, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So, uh, sorry, that that's a bad passage to go to, to try to teach Christians don't go through tribulation. Uh, that very passage where Jesus says he's going to come again and receive them. He told him you're going to go through tribulation. In fact, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and go to the second video. Hello, this is Ted Alexander, and I'm back with you here in video number two, as I promised. And uh, we're going to continue to look at the pre-tribulational, uh, pre-millennial rapture of all of the saved of the times of the Gentiles, which is the time frame we're living in. And uh, what I've uh, decided to do, and I'm trying to break this down as best as possible, make these uh, 10 minutes or less uh, if we're able to do that. Uh, so what I decided to do is try to deal with passages 
uh, that are clear and straightforward. And then we're going to move into some more uh, difficult uh, situations where we're, we're going to dovetail passages and we'll be uh, borrowing scripture from various places to, to continue to build this case. Uh, but, you know, I, I've always believed that our doctrine, uh, specifically uh, doctrines that, that some people uh, mess up and, and are, get confused about, uh, they, we ought to take the clear teaching of Scripture first, uh, clear, plain narratives, and just look at the Bible, see what it says, and then kind of build from there. And so we want to take uh, a passage today uh, from the book of Daniel, and we're in Daniel chapter 9. And, you know, it, it's always been very simplistic to me, and I don't see why others can't understand this. Uh, but as we consider uh, one of the primary goals, or the primary goal, of biblical interpretation, as we look at a passage and try to interpret what that passage means, uh, I believe that the most important thing is to first consider what did the original author intend? What was the intent of the meaning of the passage as it would have been understood in its historical context uh, with their manners and customs, uh, in the location that they lived in with whatever situation they may have been involved with uh, when it was first spoken or given uh, by revelation by the God of heaven through his man. And uh, as you consider that and you begin to gather context, which really helps in your biblical interpretation, and real true biblical interpretation is impossible without context. But as we consider that goal, the first goal of interpretation, to, to try to ascertain what God meant when he said it to the group that he's actually speaking to, you see, that's why a lot of cults uh, exist today, because they take something that was written to the Jews, they apply it to the church, uh, and so on and so forth. And I don't want to take the time to get into that too deeply. But as we just consider that briefly, we look at Daniel chapter 9, and we begin to ask ourselves, okay, <clears throat> who is speaking? Uh, what was the purpose of his speaking? Who was he speaking to? And how would they have understood what Daniel said as, as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost, the inspiration of God, we understand, uh, is on the words. But as he used this man as the pen in the hand of a ready writer to give out uh, this revelation, what exactly was he talking about? Well, as I come to Daniel 9, first of all, I'm mindful. Uh, there's, there's a Jewish God, a Hebrew God, okay, Yahweh, Jehovah, and uh, <clears throat> Elohim, El Shaddai, we could go on. Uh, however, this Jewish God, uh, came to uh, this Jewish prophet. Uh, now, Daniel obviously uh, went through the captivity and all of that, but we understand he's a full-blood Jew, and so I won't run that rabbit any further. So you have a Jewish God, and he's talking to a Jewish prophet. And as he begins to give this... I, I want to stop for a minute here, and I want to point out something. I, I want, again, those of you who are watching this on either side, I want you to judge. When you listen to a post-tribber and when you listen to a pre-tribber, which ones are more likely to use a whole bunch of word salads where they just drone on and on? And I know this, this one's kind of painful, but we're we're going to be fair and go through all of these. I, I, I thought about maybe just using some clips. But I was like, no, we're going to take the time to go through all of these. But there was a lot of word salad there. We're going to hear a lot of repetition there. We're going to very little scripture. When you listen to post-trib people, they can't, they're, they're always cramming so much scripture in and we, we you know we don't have time for word salads because we have too much scripture to get to and so we're seeing this emphasis on jewish 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 now what what he's doing right here it's just a common tactic to just tell the church this has nothing to do with you so jewish 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 has nothing to do with you okay and, and we'll talk about some of uh again it, these are realities he's talking to jews but what they'll do is they'll state all these true things about the Jewishness of it, but then they will jump to a false conclusion. And so we'll let him uh, finish the rest of his point and we'll show what that is. But a, a lot of this is just unnecessary, very repetitive words. And so I believe this is the longest of the videos of his, or um, it looks like there might be one, a couple longer. So, uh, but either way, let's go ahead and listen to the rest. Prophecy. I'll just pick up the reading here uh, for sake of time. In verse number 24 of Daniel chapter 9, and if you do have your Bible, I would suggest you grab it. Please don't take these videos and take Ted Alexander's word for it or anyone's word for it. We better do our night work. We better be Berean Christians, and we better search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And uh, at any rate, uh, so I, I want you to grab your Bible if you have it. I want you to see these things, okay? Uh, and so here in verse number 24, the Bible says, 70 weeks... 
are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now there's an absolute ton of teaching we could bring out of just that one verse as you even probably recognized again. This one verse is so rich in truth. But I'd like to just basically break this down real quickly. And the point that I wanna make with this video is simply this. If you understand the purpose for Jacob's trouble, the seven year tribulation period, you understand who God is dealing with, why he's dealing with them, and what he is attempting to accomplish through this, you begin to very quickly realize this has absolutely nothing to do with church age saved people, whether the church, the family of God, whatever the case might be, if you want to call it the times of the Gentiles or the church age, it makes no difference. We're talking about people saved in this dispensation of the grace of God. This passage clearly defines that Daniel's 70th week or the tribulation period has nothing at all to do with church age people. It is God dealing with Jews. Okay, so first we've established it's a Jewish God. He comes to a Jewish prophet, Daniel, and he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, I won't take the time to run the rest of this passage. We'll probably do that in a much later video uh, when we begin to dovetail Matthew 24. Uh, we quite possibly will come back to this. But uh, we understand as Bible believers that 69 of those weeks are now passed and fulfilled. The church is what I would consider a parenthetical type time frame. And then you would have the 70th week. And we'll prove that through Matthew later. Uh, that that 70th week is indeed the great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. Okay, so 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. So God says, it's going to take me 70 weeks to accomplish what I do. And these are determined upon thy people. Speaking, of course, to Daniel and to the Jews, of course, this is talking about Israel. These 70 weeks uh, exist for the purpose of dealing with the nation of Israel. Okay, so we have a Jewish God, a Jewish prophet, and now a Jewish people. Then he says, and upon thy holy city. I know some would have us to believe that's New York City or Chicago, but it's certainly not. Uh, that is Jerusalem, and uh, that is the city of David. And this is, of course, now defining for us that what God does, it concerns that city. Now, you understand the tribulation period culminates with the salvation of the Jews, the ingathering of the Jews, and Christ being anointed and sitting in the tabernacle of David there in Jerusalem as King of Kings and King of the Jews, okay? So now we have a Jewish God, a Jewish prophet, a Jewish people, and a Jewish city, okay? And then he says, and to finish the transgression. Well, what is the transgression? Well, the transgression is the fact that Israel, of course, has sinned so much against God, disregarded the prophets. God gave them a bill of divorcement, and now they are in transgression and sin, okay? Uh, Romans, the book of Romans clearly defines that blindness in part has happened to them. It talks about that bill of divorcement given to them. So they are in transgression. What this 70th week accomplishes, it finishes the transgression of the Jews, okay? The Bible clearly states, and we'll look at, we'll look at this later, all Israel shall be saved. Their transgression will be no more. They'll be saved and they'll finally get their kingdom. But then it states this, okay? So you have a Jewish transgression, a Jewish God. Uh, you have a Jewish prophet. You have a Jewish people, a Jewish city, and Jewish transgressions that are dealt with in that 70th week. And he says to make an end of sins. That's a Jewish rebellion. And I hate this to, to remind you of this, but uh, Tel Aviv is one of the most ungodly sodomite-filled cities on the planet. Uh, the Jews are beyond God. They've forgotten God. And so their sins will finally be made an end of, okay? And then it says this. It defines who these people are again. When it says, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. To reconcile means to bring back, okay? So the Jews were with God. They were his chosen elect people. They got away from God. They're now scattered among the nations. Jesus promised that. He scattered them among all nations. And there are dozens and dozens of nations with populations of full-blood Jews of 10,000 or more. They have indeed been scattered as Jesus promised, but he will make reconciliation. He'll finally bring those Jews back. So this 70th week exists for the purpose of bringing back Israel, not the church. And then he says, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, guess what? Uh, the rapture is the beginning of the end. You have the rapture 
and then you have a, uh, an undetermined period of time until that peace treaty is signed. The peace treaty is signed with Israel and Antichrist. The 70th week starts. It ends with the tribulation period. And then that tribulation period, the battle of uh, Armageddon ends. The fighting ends. You have a 75-day intermittent period, according to Daniel 12. We'll discuss that later. And then you have the millennial kingdom. That's the everlasting righteousness. And that kingdom will have no end, for it will just simply unfold into an eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. A thousand here on this planet, and then Christ's eternal kingdom as that rock cut out without hands. Amen? And so what this does, it brings in everlasting righteousness. Okay? That's, that's a reference to Jews. Okay? In their millennial kingdom and then it says and to seal up the vision and the prophecy okay now think about that there'll come a time when all these prophecies and promises of, of the jews and jerusalem and their their earthly kingdom that god has given to them there'll be no need for prophecy anymore because everything god said was going to happen it will have happened at some point and so what this 70th week does is it ends all that that prophecy because now the 70th week ushers in that millennial kingdom no more need for the prophecies and so what does this do it seals up the vision and the prophecy those are jewish prophecies concerning a jewish kingdom then it says this and to anoint the most holy jesus christ the king of the jews will win the battle of armageddon uh handily he'll stomp through stomp out the wine press of the wrath of almighty god and the blood will run to the horse bridles there'll be millions of people that that'll die in that that uh ultimate uh, fight against uh, Jesus Christ with Antichrist and Satan, the beast, the false prophet, and the beast and the false prophet will be cast in a lake of fire where they will be tormented day, night, forever and ever. They're the first two to go to the lake of fire, incidentally. But what this does, it anoints the most holy. So this 70th week has purposes. And the final purpose is to make Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords. And buddy, when he comes back at that second advent, that is exactly what this week will culminate in. Now, I ask you one simple question those who would deny the pre-trib, pre-mill uh, rapture of all the saved of the church age. If this is about the church, somebody please show me the church. Because this has absolutely nothing to do with the church. We take things in their context. We let the words have their plain meaning. We do not have a right to redefine words. This is what the Bible teaches. And uh, so this is part number two. And this just continues to build upon John 14 plain straightforward teaching of christ now daniel 9 plain straightforward teaching in one verse of scripture we clearly see the pre-mill pre-trib rapture of all of the saved of the church age please come back for part number three we're going to continue and we're just going to go line upon line and precept upon precept and i pray that you'll be prayerful for me as i try to put these presentations together in much study and I pray there'd be a blessing and help. Feel free to post these on your website or share them and let others know that these are out there. Because really, folks, uh, I'm a nobody and I realize that. But God's given me a little bit of insight uh, on some things. And I want to try to share so I can be a help to our generation. Look, folks, we have a blessed hope and uh, we have an exciting future. And we're not going to let the devil take that away from us uh, because some out there are teaching falsely about the word of God. So pray for me and I'll pray for you. And I hope this is a blessing. Look for video number three. All right, so there is so many details that we could focus on, and I am going to refrain from many details. And I know many of you who listen, you're just like, oh, what about this? What about there? There's so many things that we could talk about, but let me just let me just hit a few highlights, okay? So first off, he believes that the anointing of the Most Holy is still to come. Um, the anointing of the Most Holy already happened. When did that happen? When, okay, first off, I think we would all, what does the Messiah, what does Messiah mean? It means anointed one. He's not anointed at his second coming, uh, you know, in, in the millennial kingdom. He was anointed at his baptism. Just like the holy, like, remember how they used to pour oil on people when they would anoint him, which was a picture of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus was anointed, not with oil, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and God gave him the spirit without measure at the baptism of Christ. When God said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Well, what was he doing? John the Baptist was introducing him as the Messiah, as the anointed one. And God confirmed what was said and Jesus began his ministry.
And I'm not even going to take time to going into confirming the covenant. You all know what I believe, but I don't want to get sidetracked on those things. But uh, understand the anointing already happened. I've, I've never heard anyone deny that. But uh, he apparently he thinks it's still to come. Uh, but let me just, while there's so many things that were wrong, let me just focus on the main thing. That was a long video basically showing Jewish, 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 Jews, Jews, Jews. And then he asked at the end, where's the church? Where's, okay. <clears throat> Dan, the all 490 weeks are judgments and desolations on Jerusalem, the city. Okay. So why would the church be in there? It's a, it's a prophecy about judgment on Jerusalem. Why do we need to see the church? It doesn't, we don't need to see the church. It's not judgment on a church. It's not even judgment on all of the Jews, even though, of course, a lot of Jews suffered during that time. It was on the city. It's about Jerusalem. It's about the desolations of Jerusalem. Not the desolation of the Jews, not the desolation of Israel, not the desolation of the church, not the desolations of God's people, of the city, of the city of Jerusalem. And understand that it had its consummation in 70 AD after the seven-year Jewish-Roman War, when the city was completely destroyed, when the temple was completely destroyed, not one stone left upon another, as spoken of in the Olivet Discourse, that all those things happened the desolations of jerusalem came to pass they took place so why do we need to see the church there how does that prove a pre-trib rapture doesn't say anything about the rapture in there doesn't say anything about the peace treaty in there that he mentioned too by the way that's something that's he he recited a lot of catechism not even going to take time to go into all that but i just again while I could pick on so many details of what he said about Daniel's 70th week, but he did not go into great detail on those things. So I won't go into, uh, you know, debunking a lot of those things. But the main premise of that video is he's showing Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Therefore, it can't be about the church. Therefore, it proves a preacher rapture. It's about the destruction of and desolations of a city of Jerusalem, of a physical geographical city. And those things came to pass. Everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that Jerusalem got theirs. And, but again, in their pre-trib catechisms, in dispensationalism, which is very clear, he is a heavy dispensationalist. And we are non-dispensational. We are very much opposed to dispensationalism. Obviously, there are things people say in the name of dispensationalism that's true that we would agree with. But dispensationalism is a very faulty system of theology that does not use the word dispensation the way the Bible uses the word, not even close. So um, obviously he believes there's a gap. He believes in a, a, a 2000 year gap between the 69th and 70th week. That's ridiculous. Uh, we don't believe in that at all. This is about Jerusalem and they already got there. So we don't need to see the church. It doesn't need to mention the church, but why don't we take the time just for bonus to go look at a passage uh, because he keeps talking about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. And this is like code because Jews, Jew, church, you know, Israel and church, not the same. Israel and church, not the same. Okay. And again, there's another conversation about where, you know, how all that works. I don't want to get into that, but let me just read a very clear passage of scripture in he, Ephesians chapter three, two, two of the four places where. Uh, the word dispensation is used is uh, in Ephesians and chapter one is talking about the same thing. The mystery of his will uh, talks about that. But in chapter three, it says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation, he may known unto me the mystery as I wrote it for him. Few words talking about what he talked about in chapter one, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things uh, by 
Jesus Christ. And so this is a common tactic that dispensationalists use is they'll read something about God's people and about the Jews from the Old Testament. Where does it say anything about the church? Um, why would it say anything about the church? It was a mystery and had not been revealed during that time. But Paul received this dispensation of the gospel. He, he understood this mystery and he dispensed it and he shared it and he revealed it to the church about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the promises that we would be partakers in chapter two, that we would be fellow citizens with the saints and of the commonwealth of Israel. So uh, I don't need to show you anything from the Old Testament that mentions the church. I don't need to show you anything. In fact, there's something wrong if I can. If I can show you that, then Paul was wrong because Paul said it was a mystery and it was not made known as it is now known. And what was revealed was the inclusion of the Gentiles. Boom. Mic drop. Not trying to be arrogant or anything like that, but um, I think I have a little bit of insight. That's why I am discussing these things here. And so let's try to, you know, you know let's try to keep it nice, Tommy. All right, behave yourself. But uh, let's go ahead and we're going to do uh, one more of the videos. This one's real good. It's getting better. It's about, it's about to get better. Hi, this is Ted Alexander again, and I am back with uh, our next video. And uh, we're continuing to uh, deal with the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of all the saved people of the church age. And of course, just to uh, remind you what we've been talking about, uh, the argument or contention of those who are uh, mid-trib or uh, pre-wrath, as they call it, those who are post-trib, uh, their argument is uh, that the church uh, would be here during uh, the tribulation period for uh, either part of it or all of it. And uh, the argument of uh, my position, and I believe the biblical position, is in a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of the church and the whole family of God. That means all the saved people uh, during this church age or the times of the Gentiles, as Jesus calls it. And uh, we believe that the, uh, the saved people uh, from the age of grace, the church age, will all, every single saved person, will be raptured prior to all seven years of the tribulation and, of course, prior to Christ coming back to set up his millennial kingdom. And uh, so <clears throat> we want to continue on. We've looked at several passages already in these videos. And in this one, um, I'd like to focus on the book of Revelation. And we're going to spend a lot of time in Revelation. But Revelation chapter 4 is a, a dividing scripture. And uh, uh, if the chronology of Revelation means anything, and it does, it means a whole lot, um, then Revelation 4 is important uh, to write division in reference to understanding prophecy and the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to look at the chronology of Revelation uh, a little bit later. And uh, just to give you kind of a sneak peek, uh, Revelation is an almost perfect chronology. Uh, in, in other words, the events happen in the order that they actually will happen in the future, one after the other after the other, um, with the exception of parenthetical chapters. And we'll deal with uh, what a parenthetical chapter is, and uh, really what that is is a snapshot or a close-up view, uh, great detail on one event or two events or three events in the tribulation, um, as opposed to the totality of the book of Revelation, uh, which would be in chronology and would be a narrative or a story as it's told line upon line and, and uh, incident after incident. And so we'll look. All right. Let me just stop for a second too. When he talks about the chronology there, because, you know, he talks about it's all in perfect chronology with the exception of parenthetical chapters. And so nobody really teaches the chronology is, is perfect throughout there. Everyone has a different way of interpreting that. Now here's, Here's the thing about chronology. Everyone interprets the chronology according to their doctrine. Okay. And so there's a circular reasoning that everyone uses. It is very hard to prove whose chronology is right based on just the terms used in the book of Revelation. 
it's it's very difficult it's very difficult to prove that the way you can prove chronology is if you can prove your order of events scripturally but the problem is everyone has an idea of what they believe the order of events are and so they interpret the chronology in light of how they've arranged the events and so it's one of those deals where you know uh when it comes right down to it a lot of people really pontificate about how this proves this proves but they don't really prove they use a circular reasoning so we know we know that it's a pre-trib rapture therefore your revelation four has to be the rapture because you know chapter four is before the tribulation stuff starts going on but wait a minute but what if you're wrong about that okay what if you're wrong about that you know then if you're a a post six seal guy well then we like that part in chapter seven where a multitude from all over the world appears in heaven you know that 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 works really good too and i think it makes a lot more sense than chapter four but but either way uh listening to people pontificate how these things prove no it, it really doesn't and so we're but he's about to go into the classic uh revelation four is the rapture argument which is just one of the weakest ones they have yet it is foundational and i've never met a preacher who doesn't teach it that way and it is not proof uh it is not literal they will not that you can't they're not going to be literal on this even though they claim it they, they just say it. it's like it's they, they there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on with this but uh let's go ahead and listen to some more of this get that a little bit later but uh the chronology of revelation is important to understand and so I want to read this passage, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to show you something that I really believe that the uh, mid-tribbers and pre-rathers and post-tribbers are greatly missing. And uh, really, the, the burden of proof lies upon them to refute these things. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So there's several things here. First of all, uh, heaven, uh, the Bible says a door is opened. And then there's a voice that John hears as he's here on the Isle of Patmos. And it begins to talk with him and tells him to come up here. Okay, come up hither. So come up to heaven. All right. And that's where he says the door was open. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That, that phrase hereafter, that word hereafter, that's an interesting word. It speaks of a dispensational change. Okay, so in other words, there were things that happened prior to this. But what you're going to see are the things that are going to happen after this point in time. And so hereafter uh, is interesting. And I would submit to you uh, that this indicates the timing of the rapture. And that's a total different video. But what I do want you... So let me just stop here because he says this creates a dispensational change. Now, again, he is interpreting this passage in light of dispensationalism rather than letting the passage uh, tell him what his doctrine should be. Okay, now... Let me just explain briefly what's going on here, why there's a change. Remember, Revelation is written to seven literal local churches, churches, seven of them. Jesus had a message, a direct message for each of those individual churches that included some prophecies. Okay, What Jesus said to Laodicea did not necessarily apply to Pergamos. What he said to Philadelphia did not necessarily apply to Thyatira. And so Jesus spoke of things that would shortly come to pass to those seven churches. And then after he's done speaking to the seven churches, then he tells chapter four on is a message for all of those churches that would apply to all of them and even applies to us today. And what does he do? First, he tells them things which will shortly come to pass on these seven churches. And then he tells them things that will be hereafter. Things in the unknown distant future is what we're seeing. So that's what the shift is. There's a shift, not because we're going from a dispensational change where we're leaving the church ages in chapter two and three and going into a tribulation period for the Jews. No. He's talking directly to these seven churches, telling things are going to happen on those churches. What's going to happen to the church in Pergamos is not going to happen to Liberty Baptist Church. 
we can make some applications. We can learn from what he told the church in Thyatira and Pergamos and all those things. But at the end of the day, he was directly talking to an individual church, not Liberty Baptist Church. But when we get to the hereafter, he's saying the same thing to all seven churches. Why? Because this is not directly related to your individual churches. This is global. This is a worldwide event. This is the future, sometime in the unknown future. And, and it definitely applies to us too. So that's why there's a change. Do not insert your dispensationalism in there. Do not do, not do that. Um, that's not what the text is doing. That is not what the scripture, that is not what anyone would come, no one would come to this conclusion from just reading the scriptures. Now, if you're reading Larkin's charts, if you're reading dispensational books, then, you know, I guess that works with what they've made up. But it, it, you're not going to get that just from reading the Bible. You see here uh, is that John is caught up and John is raptured. For in verse number two, it says, And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. So God says, come up hither to heaven. And John immediately goes up to heaven. Uh, you can call that anything you'd like. I know some of the uh, uh, no rapture guys don't like the word rapture. Okay, John was caught up, if that will suit your fancy. Uh, he was raptured, uh, taken away, and he was taken up into heaven. Now, what I want you to see is that this is a division of Revelation 4. We'll reference this several times. Okay, so if you understand the chronology of Revelation, let me explain it to you this way. Revelation chapter number one is simply an introduction and the, the message of John uh, being taken there to Patmos and, uh, and to receive uh, the revelation of God. Okay, so he's exiled, God shows up and begins to give him the revelation. But in Revelation chapter two and chapter three, you have letters to literal physical churches, although there is a typology and a shadow that we'll discuss later in reference to that, they were first and foremost, the primary interpretation is that they're literal physical churches, which Jesus felt the necessity to write to and command, end up, braid, rebuke, approve, exhort, and all of that. Revelation 4 is John's rapture. Now, after this, you'll see uh, white raiments, you'll see crowns, you'll see a scene around the throne and uh, 24 elders. And we'll discuss the meaning of all of those things later. They're very important. But then in Revelation 5, you go right into the chapter where heaven and earth is searched for one who can loose uh, the seals. And that is the line of the tribe of Judah. Now watch this. Immediately going into Revelation 6, you have the first four judgments, the seal judgments, opened and poured out by Jesus Christ himself, the first four horses of the apocalypse. And so the tribulation begins there in Revelation chapter 6. Okay, now here's what I want you to see. The church, you can see the church mentioned, okay, uh, which is God's primary focus, okay, in this dispensation, a Gentile bride. And you can see the church mentioned in Revelation in chapters 2 and chapter 3 prior to John's rapture, prior to heaven and earth searched for one who can loose these seals and begin the uh, judgments of the tribulation, and prior to all 21 judgments of the tribulation. I'll give you an example of several. In Revelation 2, verse 1, the Bible says, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Moving on, in verse 7, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In verse 8, we find the word church under the angel of the church. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In verse 12, it says church. In verse 17, churches. Verse 18, church. Moving on, in verse 29, it says churches. In chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 1, it says, and unto the angel of the church of Sardis. Moving down, in verse 6, it says churches. Verse 7, church. And so on and so forth, down to the last verse of Revelation, chapter 3 which says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So what you see is church, churches, church, churches, church, churches, all the way through Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Revelation 4 is John's rapture and the uh, symbolic things that we just mentioned, which will be explained later. Revelation 5 is looking for one who can start the tri tribulation. Revelation 6 begins the tribulation. And here is what I'd like you to understand. After you see the church mentioned here, and the church pictured in Revelation 4 at John's rapture, you do not see nor hear of the church anywhere through all of the judgments of the tribulation period. Uh, in fact, the church is not seen again in view until Revelation 19 when the church comes back with Christ uh, there to the battle of Armageddon. My point being, 
If the idea of the mid-tribbers, the pre-rathers, and the post-tribbers, and any other uh, offshoots that may exist who insist that the church is going to be here for the tribulation period, uh, why is it then never mentioned in the book of Revelation? Okay, so the church is here, the church is gone, the church is back. This is another great indicator uh, of the fact that God is not trying to fool us. The church obviously goes up when John is raptured. That will be in-depth discussed and proven later. Uh, but uh, so the burden of proof lies upon those that would disagree with this biblical premise and this biblical position and teaching. Hi, this All right. So you all ready for this? Because this is, again, rightly dividing, okay, uh, in the biblical sense. That means to accurately basically teach whatever you're teaching from the scripture, whatever division, whatever section, whatever part of scripture you are teaching, you are preaching, you're distributing, you need to be accurate, right? When you do not rightly divide, what's going to happen is your doctrines are going to conflict. Okay. Now, when you do, when you start finding conflict in your doctrine, when then that's when you realize, Hey, I must be wrong somewhere because the Bible does not contradict itself. Okay? Man often does, but the Bible doesn't. Now, I don't want to assume uh, what Brother Alexander's doctrine is, but I'm going to guess, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but I'm going to guess, him being a big Baptist history guy, that he is probably a strong local church guy and does not believe, like many most Baptists, in a universal church, okay? Do we not believe in local churches and not a universal church, right? We don't believe in a universal church. We believe in a local church. So this is a common routine that is a complete, this is, I think, what we would call a red herring fallacy. I don't have time to go into the details of that. But they do this where they're like, it says church, 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 Revelation 1, church, Revelation 2, church, 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 Revelation 3, church. After, where's the church after that? Where's the, where's the church in the tribulation? Wait, so are all of a sudden we universal church people now? Now we're going to talk about saints because saints are mentioned, but we'll talk about that in tomorrow's program because he's going to discuss that and clarify in the next video about the saints. So I'm not going to spend time on the saints, but that is going to be covered. Let me tell you exactly why we do not see church mentioned. You know why? Because this is going to be the devil in the tribulation. He's going after the Christians. Not individual churches. He's not going after local churches. He's not going to target Liberty Baptist Church. He's not going to you know, go out, target First Baptist Church of whatever. He's going after all the saints. This is a global thing. He's going after all believers. So if we're if we are non-universal church people, if we are local church people, accord and, and we and we take that position based on doctrine, then why would we expect it to say the church that would contradict a, a church. We believe it's a local called out assembly and it is not churches or a church that is being targeted. It's just believers. It's the saints. It's the saved who are being targeted. So in chapters two and three, of course, Jesus is giving direct specific personal messages to each of the different seven churches. But what he's saying in chapter four on applies to everyone in the future. We would all agree with that. We would all, if I asked, who do you think the, the, uh, the, the message that Jesus said to the church in Pergamos is to, who do you think that's he'd say, well, the church in Pergamos, you know, well, that, you know, if you go to a specific prophecy in there, Hey, which church was he standing at the door and knocking on? You would say Laodicea. Right, because that's who he was talking to. In which church was he talking to in chapter four? Was he talking to Thyatira or Laodicea or Smyrna? Uh, he was talking to all of them. We would all agree it applies to all of us. So you understand the fact that it's not mentioned there actually helps what we teach about local church versus universal church. But again, pre-tribbers do this line. He's going to do this again in one of the later videos where it's like, they, you know, they preach it right. You know, they'll preach a passage right when they're covering one subject, but then when they're covering a different subject where they're wrong, they'll take that same passage and preach it wrong. And I'm going to show where he, where he's going to do that in one of the later videos. 
So again, I, I'm going to guess, maybe I'm wrong. He can come on the program and tell me, but I'll bet he doesn't believe in a universal church and he's a local church guy. So then my question is why on earth, when the Bible is discussing, you know, the antichrist going after the saints, why would it say the church? Cause then we'd have to ask, well, which one, which, because again, it's not about a church. He's not just going after an assembly. He's going after believers. He's going after the saved. That's what it's all about. So that's, you know what that is? We've got, we've gone through three of these videos now, three out of these 10. And so far it has done nothing. It's done. There's been straw men. There's been massive misrepresentations of the post-trip position. And here he tried to prove that chapter four is the rapture, even though we only have one man being caught up in the spirit. We believe the rapture is a physical catching away, but you got one man caught up in the spirit so he can see things that are going on in heaven and he can write about them to give to the seven churches. And so, um, that, yeah, so far, nothing, a absolutely nothing. And again, pastor Alexander is more than welcome to come on this platform and respond to what is being said in case there's any mis misrepresenting going on. And uh, we, we want to be fair on these things, but this is, this isn't good. This is really bad teaching and it's about to get worse. And, and we've skipped a lot of stuff. We're trying to just mainly focus on the, the main premise of these videos and these things. And, that, and that's what we've done. And so forgive me, those of you who, you know, are seeing, noticing a lot more stakes, mistakes and like, why are you covering? Cause I, I don't want to be here. I don't want this to be a two week series. So anyway, I appreciate everyone watching this episode. Be ready tomorrow as we go start on video number four of his 10 video series. I will leave a link to the playlist of these videos so you can go and watch them yourself if you would like, uh, even though I'm showing them unedited just with uh, occasional stops of me running my mouth a little bit. But anyway, appreciate you watching this. Join us tomorrow and we'll, uh, we'll cover some more. So God bless you.